0: Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. And today we are, well, you know what? Halt the brakes real quick. I was going to just go ahead and go right into the episode, but you know, I do want to talk about how this episode was actually created. So it's, it's just a really big testimony on how God actually works in our lives when we study and read our Bible. So I was sitting down, I was writing the script, I was going through the Bible verses that I was going to use, and this episode was originally going to be on uh, pretty much exposing the prosperity gospel. And then as I was writing and reading and reviewing, I I decided to deep dive these verses that I was going over. You know, I actually called some people uh, in my life and went over some things with them. We talked about it, and somehow this episode ended up turning in from exposing the prosperity gospel into how to live a godly life. Because I think ultimately that is the message that we need to get out there. I think the original message that I was going to put out there kind of started off almost, uh, I guess a good way to say it is a little, it could be dismissed as hateful, although that was not my intention whatsoever. But then I decided let's Let's reassure and come from a place of love, not from a place of, hey, look at these guys. These guys are doing it wrong. You know, I really wanted to come from a place of love. So I really want to take a biblical approach on how we live a godly life. And then I am going to go into why the prosperity gospel is not the answer to living a godly life, Uh, but I do want to just pretty much reassure those people that might have been roped in by it or people who are thinking about going into the prosperity-type gospel, identifying what that is, and then kind of moving into you know, what God actually wants us to be doing in our lives. So that's pretty much what this episode is going to be. I haven't honestly decided on the title yet, so you'll see it, obviously, by the time it uh, gets uploaded. But this is pretty much going to be on how to live a godly life and why the prosperity gospel is not the answer to that godly life. Ultimately, one of my biggest fears in our Christian faith is that some people come to Christ with the wrong reasons. They'll they'll say, you know, a sinner's prayer, and then they believe they're saved. And in all actuality, they might not be saved because they were kind of led astray. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. And I say this with the most absolute love and sincerity. And I really want these people to see the truth of Christ and for what it is. And I'm sure a lot of you listening, you might be you might know somebody who's sucked into this abyss and false teaching world that's there's so many false teachers out there and they could it's so easy to get sucked in. I really hope that this episode can either one, show you how to live a godly life if you're not living it, and two if you already are, you know, on that good sanctification path and and striving to live a godly life, maybe you can share this with other people or learn something to reinforce that behavior and talk about it with other people. All right, well, let, let's get into this. All right, so the main passage of verses that I ended up taking from was from 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 12. And this is honestly there there's so many verses that talk about prosperity and the Bible and the dangers of money, uh, the dangers of having too many material possessions. But I think First Timothy chapter six verses three through twelve just sum up the entire thing so well of of false teaching and uh, the riches of the world, the evils of them, and then goes into what we should be pursuing in our Christian life. So it ended up being the perfect passage for this message. Well, enough of me blabbing. Let's go ahead and read the entire passage and then we'll start breaking it down as we normally do. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 12. All right, it starts off like this. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, here's a key word right here, contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs but flee from these things you man of god and pursue righteousness godliness faith love perseverance gentleness fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses man that is powerful I really think Paul does a great job when he's writing this letter of just breaking down the dangers of the world, the dangers of prosperity, uh, looking for a sound teacher looking for somebody for spiritual guidance who is actually sound and they listen to the doctrine, they listen to the words that are in the Bible, they read the Bible, and they don't just pick out what they like. They read the the whole thing and believe it. They believe in the power of Scripture. They believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, I think is a better way to say it. Scripture is sufficient. You don't need to add anything else to it. And then I really love how Paul goes into what we need to pursue towards the end. Okay, so as we do on this channel, we're going to go ahead and break this passage down verse by verse, because I think it's very important that we do that. If you're following along with your Bible, please do. If not, no worries. I will be saying the verse before we actually go into it and break it down. All right. So verse three reads, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. And that's verse three. And he's obviously continuing on. It's in a paragraph, but we'll just break that verse three down. Okay. What Paul is doing in verse three is he identifying the characteristics of the false teacher. He says that there's a different doctrine. They teach a different doctrine. They don't agree with sound words. They reject teaching that accords to godliness. And if you come across a church that teaches something that is not in the Bible, you need to run. Sadly, as a new believer, it can be really hard to discern this because more often than not, these false teachers will lead you in with some type of truth in order to mix in their lies. Now, also, please keep in mind that I do not think that every false teacher out there even these prosperity preachers—they're—they're they're, they're not purposely twisting the word of God with evil intent. I don't believe all of them do that. Most false teachers really do believe what they are saying, uh, what they're saying is real, and they think what they're doing is what God wants them to do. But sadly, I do believe that these men are being blinded by Satan. This makes all the more sense as we get into verse four and five. Verse 4 and 5 reads like this. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arrive envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. These are these are very good words that Paul's using here. And, you know, one of the first things that jumps out of my mind when I'm reading this is and I'm not going to bash this group of people that do this because I, I I believe it is important. But the apologetics community can be very um, what's a good word for that? Very uh, confrontational. There is nothing wrong with apologetics. First off, if you don't know what apologetics is, it's just another it's a it's a word a term to describe a way to defend your faith by using the Bible and, uh, using the Bible pretty much to defend your faith. You can also, some people go to outside resources to prove the Bible, but it's pretty much having an answer for your faith, which is ultimately, you know, something biblical. The only bad part about it is some people can get so obsessed with it. Oh, there goes the dogs barking. Yeah, we got a lightning storm outside. So if they do bark guys, I'm sorry, but, um, people who are into apologetics can sometimes be very confrontational. If you say one thing that they don't agree with, they start pounding these different scriptures on you almost to a point where they're taking they're taking it to another level. I'm not saying all are like that. Uh, if you don't believe me, go on Facebook, you know follow an apologetics group just for a little bit and you're gonna see some very uh, the best way I could describe it is you know, almost almost to the point where it's hateful, stuff being thrown around out there if you post up something like maybe you had a question about something you're going to see people start arguing in that comment section on your post with some of the most just venomous language without swearing that you can possibly ever come across and you're also going to find some really weird theories that aren't exactly biblical at all but that's the first thing that comes to my mind when i read those those words from paul the disputes about words they're just hung up on the smallest thing because they're so obsessed and really believe that the lies they're preaching. And now we're not just talking about apologetics, guys. We're talking about false teachers in general, okay? Once again, no knocking apologetics. I think it is a very good thing. It's just some people can take it to another level, as I said before. But because these false teachers are so obsessed and really believe the lies that they are preaching, they will argue over terminology and often attack the reliability or authority of scripture if they come across something that does not conform to what they're preaching. They can get hung up on one specific doctrine, and there's so many denominations that do this. They can get hooked on one specific doctrine, and often if there's a verse that that doesn't quite agree with the doctrine that they are following, they're going to dismiss it or they'll try to reinterpret it in some other different way. This is This is a sign of a false teacher. They often do this to back up their narrative of how, you know, back to the prosperity side of it, how God wants you to be rich, healthy, and full of success in this earthly life. That is not a message preached by the gospel of Jesus Christ or anywhere else in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about how God wants you to be super rich and successful in this life other than successful in the terms of pursuing godliness, which we're going to get at. This is the danger that I'm talking about. When people are having uh, issues in their life, uh, they turn to God for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're in debt. Life's not going their way, and they have some sort of sickness, or and whatever the case may be, they hear a pastor talking about what we just mentioned about get rich, get healed, do this, you know, do that. You know, God will take all this away from you. He wants you to have all this in your life. They're they those people are very apt to listen to what this gospel is trying to say, just as Paul wrote in Second Timothy chapter two, verses three through four. For the time will come when they do not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's a perfect example of what we were just talking about. The biggest lure for this, in my opinion, is money. Uh, you've you, you've probably heard it, maybe not in these exact words, but you might you could pop on YouTube, type in prosperity preaching, you somewhere along the line you'll hear, you know this being called out, and you might even hear it in the church you're going to now, and where they say pretty much, give my church your money, and God will return it to you in blessings. It's a very common narrative, and while that is not a completely false statement, as a pastor of a church, you should not be telling your church to give you money in order for God to give you blessings. That is the wrong way to go about it. We already talked about this in the Should We Tithe episode. Uh, Paul was very specific about giving in the church in the New Covenant. You know, we have to give cheerfully. We have to give with a with a happy heart. We have to give happily, not out of compulsion. That's one of the things that these prosperity preachers do. They try to make you give out of compulsion, they, 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 they kind of work you up. They, they kind of melt you, you know, like they heat you up like a stick of cold butter so they can stick that, that give us your money knife in you. And so that way you're more apt to go ahead and do this. This is, it's just another one of those tactics. And I'm also a firm believer that God does not need our money in order to work his good pleasure. Does it help the church? Absolutely. But God does not need your money to work his good pleasure and to work his will. Let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 8, verse 18 through 21. This is a great way of, 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 of seeing that. Now, Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying of, uh, of the apostles' hands. He offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no portion in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Listen to what Peter says right there. You have no portion in this. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. God does not need our money, okay? I promise you that. That is fact. He is more powerful than our money. He does not need our money. All right, let's look at what Paul is seeing in verses 6 and 7. He says, But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So when he's saying that in verses 6 and 7, he's saying that the true gospel, it calls you to be content in all that God has given you, not to seek after more, We don't need any more earthly treasures. The famous verse in Philippians 4.13, I love using this as as an example because it's often very, very misused. Most people know that verse, and if you don't, don't worry, I'm about to say it. Uh, But a lot of people use this verse to reinforce that, hey, I can do anything through Jesus. If I want to make a million dollars, I can do it through Jesus. If I want to fly off this cliff, I can do it through Jesus. That's a little extreme, but you know, there might be people that take it out there that way. But this is what the verse is actually talking about because if you go just a few verses up at verse 11, you actually see what Paul was talking about. And it reads like this, not that I speak from what I want, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things. This is the verse right here. I can do all things through him, God, who strengthens me. This is very different from the speak-whatever-you-want-into-existence theology we see today. And not only that, verse 7 kind of reminds me of a a country psalm that uh, gets played around in my work a lot. And Yeah, it's a secular psalm, but doesn't make this truth any more, uh, less truthful. But, but, but part of the lyrics go, I ain't never seen a trailer or I ain't never seen a hearse with a trailer hitch. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of corny, but it's very true. You know, we can't take these things with us when we go. So why are we building up all these earthly treasures just for them to rot away? Uh, and, Real briefly, let me go on what I said about the whole "speak whatever you want" to existence theology. All right, so these guys—they're uh, kind of called the "name it and claim it" group, and they fit right in with the whole prosperity gospel. They're kind of one and the same, and they intermix with each other. Now, this whole "name it and claim it" mantra came from the Word of Faith movement. What is the Word of Faith movement? While I'm not an expert at it, I do briefly know th- they, they have great intentions. There's nothing evil, I believe, about their intentions, but they're very big on speaking out your faith into existence, almost like manifesting. I really don't like the use of that word because I believe only God can manifest things. You have nothing to do with it. Uh, and then these name it and claim it and prosperity guys kind of take that speaking things into existence uh, mentality and they twist it and turn it into something very evil. Uh, Trust me, I don't really agree with the Word of Faith movement, but I don't think those guys are by any means not Christian or evil. I just don't agree with them. Uh, But the the name it and claim it and prosperity guys really do twist that around. An example of that can be easily found on YouTube. YouTube uh, there was, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was on out there, very prominent. He had, you know, probably about a thousand people in his church, you know, and he's standing up there and he's going, I declare in the name of the Lord, everybody is debt free financially, you know? And while yes, that's great thinking and all, he has no power to do that whatsoever. He cannot in the name of the Lord, declare anybody debt free. Cause when you walk out of that church at the end of the day you're still probably going to have that debt. Now, I'm not saying not to pray for things, for God to you know help you out with your finances or God to help you out with whatever is going on in your life, but the real danger comes from you believing that this will actually happen. Now, it's great to have faith, and just like Jesus said, you know, faith of a mustard seed can move mountains, but God has a higher purpose for everything. If I walked into a doctor's office and he told me I had stage four cancer. First thing I would do is I would get down on my knees and pray to God to take this cancer from me. But ultimately, that is God's decision, not mine. I can't get rid of that cancer with the power of God. God gets rid of that cancer. And ultimately, if that cancer does not go away, then obviously this is all a part of God's plan in accordance with God's will. Why these things happen, It is. this gets into a much bigger discussion, but really why these things happen is ultimately because of sin. We are living in a sinful world. God has a master plan, and if his plan does not involve you being debt-free or getting a million dollars or your cancer being cured, as hard as it is to say— we have to accept that and ultimately just praise God in it anyways, because that's what we are doing here on this earth is we are pursuing a godly life and praising God. Well, let's get back on track. We'll get let's get into verse eight and see what verse eight is talking about. So verse eight says, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. In verse eight, Paul just backs up what we we're saying even more by saying, If what you have, uh, if what you have and you're able to survive on that, then you should be satisfied. You have your basic needs met. You should be satisfied. By no means does Paul condemn having material possessions or having money, but think of it as on the premise that God will be providing what you need and what and what you want in accordance with his own will. That's the whole thing, his will, God's will. This is, as a, this is opposed to you working after self-indulgent desires, you know, by works of your own flesh. So many people, one of the best sermons I ever heard in my life was by John Piper. And if you haven't heard of him, you can look him up on YouTube. Great man. You could just literally type in John Piper seashells because that was the sermon that I'm talking about. And if you've heard it before, you know what I'm talking about. It was an amazing sermon where he was pretty much destroying the American dream. Because obviously the American dream is... You know, working your most of your life, building, saving up enough money so that way you can have a nice, cushy retirement and cushy life. While that's not exactly a bad thing in terms of the world, that's not what God wants us to be doing. God wants us to be living for him. And, and how do we go about that? We're going we're gonna to keep going on as we get over this. We're going to talk about how we pursue a godly life. But the American dream is not what God has, wants us to be doing. God wants us to be living for him, not living for ourselves. We need to be content with what God provides for us, not striving for more self-indulgent desires and the lusts of our own flesh. Let's go over verses 9 through 10. 9 through 10 reads like this, "...but those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction." For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and by some longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's scary right there. When Paul hits verses 9 through 11, he seemingly condemns that entire name it and claim it mantra of the prosperity preaching. And in the end of, at the end of the day, you cannot deny the Bible is constantly warning us against the dangers of selfish desires and money. While money itself is not a bad thing, the love of it is. Jesus himself warns against this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus said it very clearly. He's warning us of these dangers of wealth and riches and selfish desires. And I really, really love what Paul's about to do here in verses 11 through 12. Let's go ahead and give it a reading. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Man, this is wonderful. Paul is literally giving us by origin of the Holy Spirit, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's giving us what we need to do to pursue God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This sums up exactly what is it all about. When people ask, what about this faith? What are you doing in this life? What is our purpose of our life here on planet Earth before we go to heaven? And this is exactly what it is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of that eternal life to which you were called. It was so good I had to say it again. Strive for God. Strive for heaven. Have no cares of the things of this world. And keep your eyes on the real prize which is up in heaven. And this is all thanks to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Overall, you have to ask yourself the question, what do you believe God's purpose is for your life here on earth. The Bible tells us exactly what it is, and that is pursuing God's will. Read into Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 21. It reads like this. Now God, the, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that's Jesus, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, whom be the glory forever. Amen. He's telling us exactly, the writer of Hebrews is telling us exactly what our purpose is here on this earth, and that is to do the will of the Father. And we just did a topic on it last week when we covered Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 and 22, where he says, No one will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the Father's will will enter the kingdom of heaven. Doing God's will, the Father's will, doing what pleases our Lord and pleases everything through Jesus Christ. Ah, It's amazing when you come down to it because that is what our purpose is that is what our purpose in life is our purpose in life is to not pursue money to not pursue selfish desires to not pursue the things of this world but to pursue godliness oh man it's amazing it's amazing what god does to our life when the holy spirit enters into us and just transforms our thinking and our mind and we just want to do the things of God. It is so amazing. The more the more you you read your Bible, the more you hunger after it, the more you want to strive for godly things. This is the law that gets written on our heart when we're saved. And it is a message that I really hope you all are hearing. I really love you all, and I want you to have the same happiness that I'm having if you don't have it yet. And if you do, then rejoice with me. And if you don't know how to achieve this happiness, then I promise you, if you look for it, you will find it. A good start for me, honestly, has always been Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 10. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, and you'll be saved unto salvation. I mean, that's a summary of what that passage is saying. It is amazing. And if you want that, if you truly do believe that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he bore the sins of the world in order for us to be saved, because that's how much he loved us. If you believe that, then my friend, you are of the faith. And if you heard that for the first time and you're feeling tugs, pursue it. Open your Bible. Read it. One of the best places I love to tell newer Christians to read or people who are thinking about getting into the faith Uh, they're feeling these tugs is to read the book of John not first John the book of John you know goes Matthew Mark Luke then John read that John because that is a great account for Jesus's life all in the hindsight of John when he wrote that Oh, it's amazing! And then after you're done reading that, go on and read Romans, because Romans is a great summary of the gospel all in one, talking about the depravity of mankind, and it goes through all the way up to you know the 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 hope that we have in Christ alone. All right, well I can go on and on and on forever. This and this podcast is getting much longer than I intended to, but I really hope that you guys listen to this and. Uh, Take everything for heart, what I'm saying. I'm saying it with the most absolute love for you people. I'm saying it with the most absolute love for these people that are lost in this prosperity gospel. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everything that you do in our lives, Lord. I pray that we will be content with everything that we have, Lord, that we will be content with everything that you bless us in this life, Lord. And I pray that the Spirit just works through this podcast, Lord. I pray that the Spirit is moving through this and that we know how to be content. We know how to accept what your will is for us, Lord, and just be happy and rejoice in it, whether we're happy, sad, fat, or full, uh, full or empty, actually. Uh, in no matter what situation we, Lord, in, Lord, that you put us in or that we get ourselves into, that we will just be able to praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. All within your will, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks, y'all. I hope y'all had a great one. And uh, I should have probably said this in the beginning in case some people wandered off, but we do now have a YouTube channel. So I'm going to start doing live stream YouTubes, pretty much recovering what I'm talking about here on the podcast and going over different other topics, question and answers and whatnot. It's a very brand new YouTube. So I only got like two subscribers on there, but it's called I Believe Now What? And you can go on there and find it and uh, hopefully I'll give out some notices. And once I get a schedule down of when we're going to start doing these live streams, but for now it's just going to be a little sporadic until we get a little bit more of a following. Hey, thanks y'all. I appreciate everything that you guys do. Uh, man, thanks for listening. This is Tim with, I believe now what signing off.